Let's, let's thank God for the time together. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for these weekly gatherings where we are able to look to your word, sing your praises, fellowship with each other, um, keep our lives healthy. Thank you for this morning in your son's name. Amen. Okay, we're in, as is obvious from the top of the sheet, Psalm 119. Now, when Psalm 119 is mentioned to you, well, I was looking through my record-keeping device of what I have preached on and what I haven't, and I have never preached on Psalm 119. Here is the reason. Not, I mean, certain psalms just drop off the map. Otherwise, um, Psalm 119 is... Well, let's just put it this way, 176 verses long. The portion of Psalm 119 you see is 32 verses. So no, we're not going on to the 176 verses. The other thing that it is, is as a psalm, if you are in any way familiar through your Bible reading, it's a psalm of delight in the law of God. David just going to town on how great is the law of God. And your eyes narrow. You say, aren't we, aren't we Christians? Aren't we New Covenant sort of people where the law of God is, uh, uh, has a certain splendor, but the law, the, 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 the law of liberty in Christ has more splendor still? We know that Christianity is a different approach to ethics than commandment uh, obedience. But it's always uncomfortable when you go back and read through Psalm 119 or any similar passage where the Old Testament saints just going, you know, almost weeping with delight, and you go, I, I never had that feeling about the Ten Commandments. I never felt that thrilled. I never felt thrilled by going to any church that seemed to be big on its commandments. Uh, this church has very few. Coca-Cola over Pepsi. The Ford over Chevy. What else? Honey? Anything else? That's it, I think. Coke over Pepsi, Ford over Chevy. So, that's if it's American cars. You're free as regards uh, foreign models. But a lot of churches have commandments, and you know that you don't really like getting that list of commandments. And so when you read David, and this is inspired word of God, folks, you don't get to go, oh, I think he was wrong. You don't get to do that. You have to say, I think he was right. What have I got wrong? Let's read the first few verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord oh it begins already blessed are those who keep his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart who also do no wrong but walk in his way thou hast commanded thy precepts to be kept diligently oh that my ways may be steadfast in keeping thy statutes then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all thy commandments, I will praise thee with an upright heart when I learn thy righteous ordinances. 
I will observe thy statutes, so forsake me not utterly. What a beginning. Those ordinances, even the word ordinances. How many people here have used the word ordinances in a sentence in the last, oh, three years? Maybe a few of you, law students, ordinances, lawyers. See, there's a pattern. Legally minded people think ordinances. Some of the military might, ordinance, isn't that weapons? Uh, ballistics? What ordinance we have? But we also know that in the New Testament, I think it's, let's see if I can find it quickly. I thought it was Ephesians 2. For he is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. He abolished the commandments and ordinances and used the word ordinance in the sentence. And here's David going, oh my gosh, those ordinances. What a treat. So we know we're missing something. What are we missing? How do we get mixed up with this? Because you know, Christians today, still after 2,000 years of being taught what the apostles thought about the law, forget it immediately. Because as soon as they read the Old Testament panegyric about how great it is, they go, yeah. And so they want to post, you know, the Ten Commandments someplace in their church. Now, part of the problem is, in the church today, there's wickedness. People not living the life that Jesus Christ wants them to live. Parents know this, churches know this, sometimes the church is the thing that's wicked, sometimes it's the pastors. We're concerned about righteousness. People came to our child-rearing seminar because they were concerned about having their kids turn out. We want to know Oh, but he says in verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to thy word. There's, okay, that's the question, right? You saw the first eight verses. This is, the, this is the thing. These are the right commandments. This is what I ought to have. Well, how do I get there? Now, the problem is, this is the problem of religious people. Um, they're not really perceptive. They're not really... Um, they commit errors of, 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 uh, in interpretation. They look at a verse and they do something called over-specification. And they, because the sound of the verse, if taken out of context, is, oh, you should, in this case, Oh, verse 11. I have laid up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Have any of you heard that verse before? Probably all of us at some point, as some senior Christian is leaning into you in your life and telling you you ought to be memorizing scripture. 
because of course that's what laid up in my heart means. Of course. Now this is what, how the religious miss the point. We know if I go down to John's Alley, I can find people missing the point. They, they, they've got an entirely different task at hand. They are trying to get drunk on as little money as possible. Be admired by as many of their friends as possible. To score with as many young ladies, even middle-aged ladies, as possible. Because that's their job. They're Philistines. They're the infidels. They don't believe. They're up to something else. They're not there to be good. They don't go to bars to be good. Hold it, I was in a bar last night. <laughs> but I was being good. But we know that. We know that. The problem occurs for people like us where we see David, you know, unload this, this great desire, urge about the commandments of God and his ordinances and, and how am I going to how am I going to live this way? And your parents are doing this with the kids. How am I going to get my kids to be good? Let alone Christians. So our, our eye starts going to things like this verse 11. I have laid up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We end up seeing what is needful and then inventing something that we think looks like what David's describing. I was thinking about it as we sang the hymns this morning. Uh, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Remember that scene in Monty Python? This is, this is not intending to relate to any of you, but I just like that movie. Where the young man who just wants to sing, and his father, the gruff Scots Laird, which I identify with, just frustrated that his son just wants to sing. But in some ways, as much as we like the gruff father who tries to tell the guard who was it, which one of the flying circus was that at the door who couldn't understand his instructions we're going with you do you ever just want to sing not just want to be frustrated with people who are inadequate, that, we got that down Nobody, if anybody needs to find a group of people who are frustrated with other people being inadequate this is the church. We're here for you. We can be frustrated with you. But do you ever just want to sing? Now, in certain hymns, because of what they say, it's the wonderful grace of Jesus. Some people sing the wonderful grace of Jesus hoping it'll make them feel good about the wonderful grace of Jesus. In other words, it's medicine, not expression. They're trying to get... And what do people do in churches to try to get the spirit there? They get a raucous worship team band and a heavy bass line and, and everybody's singing the most current, you know, unveritable nonsense. You know, it all says good things about Heavenly Father, we appreciate you. But they're trying to cause Christianity. 
So we realize that you can look at Christian singing and we can take it the wrong way. People then will get into fights. We sing hymns here because, well, hey. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. Coke, Ford, hymns. We sing hymns here because we like them. We don't have any beef with somebody who has a... My daughter is the worst director at a church in Portland. and You know they're, you know, laying it down. Don't have to fight with them. We disagree aesthetically. I don't like certain art. Didn't mean they're going to Hades because of that art, but we have differences. But we can get sidetracked into the wrong task when the, the thing of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as it tells you to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we can take the wrong thing away from it, like we're supposed to be singing. And I grew up in a Baptist church. We also sang hymns, but usually much more just Baptistic hymns that, you know, very exuberant. And I remember from imprinted on my visual memory is, is the conducting of the song leader. We had a special song leader who, when he would conduct, you never had pastors take off their jackets. And so his, his padded shoulders would lift up into these you know, fins, I guess they would be, whenever he'd be conducting. But he was trying to get everybody singing and the first, third, and fifth verses of. We're trying to make Christianity out of an invention that looks like what's talked about in the Bible. I'm suggesting this morning, probably will in other times as well, that what is suggested in the Bible is not talking about what we're inventing out of it. Just the fact that this is about the commandments of God. What did the commandments do? Not what David, how David was reacting. God was doing it not to create righteousness, but to make sin become more sin. He talks about this in the New Testament, that the law came to increase the trespass, not to make people less trespassy, more trespassy. It was to control society also. He made it as a custodian in the book of Galatians until we were redeemed. But what did we do with it? As a raw commandment, we thought, either as a church or individuals, that the, that the rule come down by from a powerful agent must be obeyed. Raw obedience. Well, so Marine DI tells you to do something. Now why, having been in boot camp, they have an insp inspirational way of getting at you. You are afraid that unthinkable things will happen to you if you do not do exactly what you're told. And I could hear men at night in the barracks weeping, grown men weeping, just because of the emotional crushing that was going on. Because what the military does is it, it, it destroys you because they really don't want you. They want you rebuilt by the military. And they do that. To the point, I grew up with the military. 
Then I joined the military. And that changed my view of the military. I always thought of gentlemen, admirals, because my father was an officer corps, and, and so we had, you know, high-ranking gentlemen around the house. I went in the enlisted services, and people were yelling at me. My little brother wondered if he should go in the military. He said, no, Gordon, don't go in. You won't know why they're yelling at you. You will never be able to figure it out. Because Gordon is really nice. <laughs> Doug and I are pretty jaded. But it took something, and it finally, just the crushing threat of punishment going to the brig, and you'd see people from the brig in Chow Hall, and they, they had a lovely, it was a, a, a kind of a, a teachable moment. There'd be a guy in, looked like he was from the Hanoi Hilton. He didn't look like he was doing time in an American jail. Gray jammies with the letter P spray painted on his front and back. Short shackles between his hands. You can't see my hands, but they're like this. And between his feet, he's shuffling along. He's got two Marines standing on either side. He's trying to pick, they're not helping him at all. He's got to pick up his some cutlery, at the, put it on this tray, shove his tray along, shuffle along after it. And you, they bring him to the same chow hall for, with the rest of you because it's a teachable moment. So that when your DI says, do something, you do it. You all understand what commandment, power. And sometimes we fathers get into that, right? I want my word obeyed because I said so. To a certain degree, that's a true thing. It's good, good in the military, good with the police forces, good with fathers, good with uh, uh, businesses. You need some response to your commandments. So we understand commandment theory, and we try to make our Christian lives lived out like that. Jesus said this, do that. But the aroma of of wonder, the aroma of holiness, the aroma doesn't smell good. So just looking at it, well, there's the commandment, you got to do that. Okay, tell me what I have to do to join this church. What do I have to do? What are the rules? But people know, oh, it's got to be deeper than that. It's got to be. It says here, I have laid up thy word in my heart. Here is a Bible memory system. Your little cards you carry around. Anybody ever have those growing up? A little plastic, it looked like a, a, a credit card carrier. Had two little pockets in it, and you had your ones you're memorizing on one side, the ones you had memorized on the other. And you, as you memorized one, you slid it to the next side. Certain parachurch groups, like navigators, are really big into it memorizing your scripture, laying it up in your heart that I might not sin against thee. But the problem, just like the commandments, no one was thrilled. Nobody had the aroma of godliness around them. There was servility and crushed fear of punishment. Same with the memorizing. People weren't godly. But boy, they could be called upon to recite just about, just about anything. Blessed be thou, O Lord, verse 12, teach me thy statutes with my lips. Oh, there's that, that recitation. I declare all the ordinances of thy mouth. So people say, okay, well, okay, commandments are one thing, but you have to memorize them, not just be told them. You can't just have them written down in your Bible. 
You have to memorize them. As a matter of fact, the more you can say them back to someone else, the nabs were big on this, that they would, your disciple group leader would come to you and say, what's your verse for the day? And like in the military, because a lot of these guys were ex-military, your DI can walk up and say, Wilson, what's your ninth general order? Just out of the blue. So you have to pop to attention, recite, I don't know what the ninth general order was, is any of this, a long time ago. What was the 11th general order? We always had fun ones that we just made up afterwards. I report all submarine surfacing on the grinder, sir. If any of you had been in the Navy, you would have understood. We have different ways of misinterpreting or creating a Christian life that doesn't end up looking at all like David's joy in the law of the Lord. He's going weak at the knees. It's like he's seeing the most beautiful woman on the, on the planet. So we could come up with keeping the work, keeping the commandments, memorizing the commandments, reciting the memorized commandments. And some of you say, no, no, we're more intervarsity than we are navigators. Those of you who go way back, intervarsity uh, Christian Fellowship was the smarty pants parachurch group for campus ministries. The navigators was the rigorous militaristic sort of thing. Um, Campus Crusade for Christ was more like uh, sororities and frats. Uh, regular, regular folk. University, oh, they were big on, they, they, what did they call their uh, conferences, dig-ins. Because you dig into one verse until you find everything that it doesn't say. You know, the, the whole doctor, you're cutting too deep, you're scratching the table sort of um, problem. But they were big on Bible study, you know, being in the Word together. I will meditate, verse 15, on thy precepts, and fix my eyes on thy ways. I will delight in thy statutes, I will not forget thy word. So you could create a complete Christian religious discipline out of being told what the commandments of God are. Well, how is the Christian supposed to live, right? How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, the pastor steps forward and says, why, I have a list. And he says, oh, you have a list? Can you have a printout? He says, you should memorize it. And you should memorize it and be able to recite it back to me. And you should get together weekly with other friends who are memorizing and reciting back to you so you can meditate on it, study it in a Bible study. And these are the passages that are used to shore up these inventions that we have. And, the inven- and some of you are going, Evan, I, I don't think they're inventions. I think that's what it's... You really... If you want to go on, like, on a road tour, we can visit churches where these things are both preached, suggested, run, and run a dipstick into their lives before Christ to find out if the aroma of God and holiness is there. It doesn't do it. 
It certainly doesn't make the person of Psalm 119. Why doesn't it? Because when we want to know the answer, we're looking at moving the young man to purity rather than that second line by guarding it according to thy word. In accord with his word. We see that as external shaping ourselves to match what God wants whether you want it or not. And that second part is whether you want it or not. Verse 17, deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and observe thy word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a sojourner on earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for thy ordinances at all times. Now what I'm seeing, and you might say, Evan, you're inventing this, and it's what you go home and think about, hopefully. That David, David is thinking of God's law as a description of God and his creation. And if it's a description of God and his creation, and God's desires for his creation, that's what a commandment is. It's the, if you're thinking of a commandment as an arbitrary set of, you know, 10 general, 11 general orders, that the Christian has to do, plus evangelism, whatever you think the rules are, are you thinking of them largely as just randomly chosen standards of behavior? Do you see what God is doing with his law? When he says something is wrong, it's not because well, I had to choose. What's going to be wrong? Fornication or marriage? Which is, which, ah, Ben. They seem to want to get married. They seem to want to fornicate. So, we'll just make fornication wrong. Could he just as easily make marriage wrong? Is there a reason that God in his creation, David's praying that God would open his eyes to see the wondrous things out of thy law, to see it as life, verse 17, that I may live. What happens to you, or what's already happened to you, you're all old enough to have this already be the case, is you've been issued through a series of authorities and your own invention um, a view of the world. You think you see what you see correctly because you just assume how you see is correct. You have an absolute trust in your perceptions. It's natural. It starts to be a little disturbing when you start stop trusting your perceptions. But you should stop trusting your perceptions. You need to have your eyes open to behold how God has made this world you're in. Because you're a sojourner on the earth, verse 19. Why would it be consumed? Why would your soul be consumed with the longing for the knowledge of God's actual way of behaving? What make, knowing the rules. Not knowing the 
not knowing this, don't think of them as commandments, which is, sort of feels like the task you have to do. Whatever is said, it's a task I have to do, whether I want to or not. These are the descriptions of God's world. Because, verse 21, Thou dost rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from thy commandments. Yeah, we don't want to be that person, but we sometimes carry that insolence over into a life try. This is why we think that Bible memory, going to Bible studies, reciting the memory of verses, uh, you know, rigorously trying to break down the commandments to obedience to your servile uh, uh, devotion, is you have not given up the insolence where you behold the world differently than God. You don't see it the way he sees it. It's kind of, God is a little bit, well, I've said this before, he's kind of a buzzkill about everything. Because you actually want to do this other thing. You actually want to get drunk and fornicate and write bad checks. God does rebuke the insolent. Because the insolent have another revealed set of commandments they actually want to obey. The set of commandments they would be happy to write Psalm 119 about. They have a plot line that they're trying to figure out. They, they, they know where they want the world to go. Isn't that one of the most disturbing things as you watch political developments is how, how you can hear the heavenly hope of these different groups in their politics, what they're trying to arrive at. I don't care if it's conservative or liberal, there's a plot line that they want to draw, a, a, a utopia they want to reach. And we have that each in our own lives. What would be best for you? If everything, you could write your own ticket with your career, things happening the way you want to. I make a point here, it's another plot line different plot devices, another hero. The problem is not that we don't agree that God's in charge, we agree that God's in charge, that's why we have to go and do his commandments, memorize his commandments, but there's an insolence in our behavior, there's an insolence in our attitude. Take away from me their scorn and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. What do the insolent do? The insolent, whether they have to do, they think because the church, it always is there reminding them of how bad they are, and they know when their mother would like them there, and they know that the rules apply to them. They don't have any doubts about the, the truth of the matter. And so if they ever pick it up to do it, they try to live a life by sheer effort in keeping the right rules. We don't want that. One, because Christianity is not that. Christianity is the aid by the grace of God in Christ to move you out of this wretchedness of being condemned by the law to the freedom of having a Christ that reinterprets your world around you. You can have the same problem because if you are so insolent that you will not Like I was in poker, someone goes all in. 
and bet everything. If you don't walk up to Christ and go, okay, everything. Tell me what I can keep. Tell me where I'm wrong. What do I need to reject? Because I'll reject anything for Jesus Christ. Will you reject all of how we have filled in our blanks in an insolent way, we have rewritten the story that's supposed to be our lives. And then God comes along with a different idea. So you start remaking up your God or remaking up the rules or adjusting it or you want to be devout and conservative and, and really spiritual, you get all your jockey shorts and a wad and and it's not the kind of Christianity anybody would be attracted by. You're not anyone who'd be attracted by it. There's this background scorn for what people who obey the Lord look like. Even though princes sit plotting against me, thy servant will meditate on thy statutes. <coughs> thy testimonies are my delight. They are my counselor. Now hear that differently. It's not just David having a, a view of the law that is Old Testamenty, and he's just writing hyperbole about how a person should feel about the law and Lord knows no one does. But when you think of it as the replacement that everything you study, Old Testament, New Testament, is teaching you about your God. It's teaching you about your universe, where it came from. It's teaching you about how it works or how it ought to work. You're supposed to understand the reason for God's morality, why he wants you to be a certain way. They are your counselors. Presuming that you have sufficiently rejected your insolence about thinking you could figure this out. People run through their lives. We were talking about this the other day. There's some various conversations on this subject about it's hard to write good fiction if you don't have a, of a philosophy of life. Uh, Daniel had shared some quote from some author, and I can't even, still can't remember who it was. Jack London. Jack London which proved that he did not have a good philosophy of life because he killed himself. But, great thought. It's true, you, could, you can't write good fiction without a good philosophy of life. But we're all writing a fiction about our lives, and you better have a philosophy of life, and secondarily, you better have the right one, because it's going to be awful fiction. A, a Russian novel. You'll get a Russian novel. And if you haven't read a Russian novel, God help you. You'd re you ought to read a couple Russian novels because they will, they will uh, they'll put the fear of God in you. But that's what we end up with. A little less charming. With our insolence, we need to have been counseled by God in our philosophy of life so that what I think is not what the world or I have drafted in thinking for myself and then I go to church and I found out I can't do that so I gotta take my insolent attitude and try to submit to the commandments. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to thy word. 
When I told of my ways, thou didst answer me, teach me thy statutes. I think I told the, somebody told a joke, uh, John Cleese, I think, told a joke on some YouTube video, said, how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. That's what this is. Told him my ways. Thou didst answer me, and you told me thy statutes. Make me understand the way of thy precepts. That's what we need. Muzak during the sermon. Playing meditation, sort of. Make me understand the way of thy statutes, of thy precepts, and I will meditate on thy wondrous works. Understand the way. One of the... Uh, I don't mean to pick on the tech generation. Do you all know how to drive a stick shift? Some of you do, it's Idaho, it's possible. Read a map. Well, what's a map, Mr. Bolson? Well, it's not that little voice out of your phone going, turn left, quarter mile. <laughs> Blindly going away. And how you got there, you have no idea. You could not. But when you sat down, there's a company called Rand McNally, and they put out paper maps, and you put them on your lap, and you drive recklessly, <laughs> because you're looking down at the map, and if you're good at folding them up, you can hold them up high, because you don't want the wife figuring it out. The wife, she doesn't know. How many more miles to Sioux City? I don't know. <laughs> so you gotta do it yourself. But you understood the way. You understand how to get from one side of the country to the other. And you knew it because you understood the way, not just the precept. You understood what this was all about. You understood how God has made the world to be. And you have to not be insolent and disagree with him. If you have any disagreement about what he says, not because you're supposed to uh, flush your intellect and pick up the law, you're supposed to go, my view is a certain way. His view is this way. I need to understand that way. Because I'm replacing Evan's way with that way. I am thinking, this is what faith is. I take a Lord. I believe he knows what he's talking about. It's not much of a faith. It's not much of a lordship if I don't believe him. I don't understand why he said something. And I don't understand why I should just abandon my particular way of doing things. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to thy word. Put false ways far from me. And graciously teach me thy law. You're supposed to. choose. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Have you chosen the way? Not chosen the results or I know which religion is true and yeah, dang it.
Do you understand the difference between people who aren't really good and aren't really delighting in living in a world that God has designed and they are God's purse people and they understand it the same way and so when God's commands come to them they delight in it. You maybe have worked for an employer who you just clicked with perfectly. You knew they were doing exactly what you agreed was the business's purpose and they were doing it the most brilliant way, more brilliant than you could have thought of, but it was the same purposes. Do you share those purposes with God? Do you understand? Have you listened to his way as a counselor to undo the way you think it ought to be? I've chosen the way. You don't want false ways, right? Verse 29, put false ways far from me. I have chosen the way. I need to understand the way. Which one? My way or his way? Thy statutes are my way. I set thy ordinances before me. I cleave to thy testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of thy commandments when thou enlargest my understanding. That's when you will be in the Tao, the way of Christians. When you understand how God has built the world and then you agree with him. You have faith in him. You choose it. When, you, when, when he enlarges your understanding about the nature of this universe, you know, Leslie and I are in a, in a ministry on Christian social philosophy, and it's not because it gets to be Christian social philosophy, it's because that's what our lives are, social philosophy. That's why our motto at the big house is, it's the thought that counts. Because that's what we're fixing. That's what we want all of us to be about, finding out the thought that God put into his creation. Understanding human beings and their motivations. Understanding your own motivations, your own ways. And knowing what you're choosing. You are bowing the knee to the Lord. And you're not bowing the knee just to be a rebellious province in some part of his empire. And it seems that most Christians seem to be rebellious provinces in some part of God's kingdom. Because they know he's right, but they still insolently want their own way. Let God write the story. Let God write the world. You'll make a better fiction out of your life. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Keep us from our own folly of invention where we make religion for ourselves that, that looks like certain verses but does not create the delight and does not create the righteousness. Lord, we ask that you would help us see your world the way you designed it. That we would be pursuing that so that we might reject false ways and choose yours. Keep us from being satisfied with cheap religion. In your son's name, amen.